We will be reading from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Romans 5, 1 to 11. This is what Holy Scripture says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was uh, fellowshipping this week with a couple of members of our church, and we came together to the conclusion that it is a weary world. (laughs) Heroes fall into disreputable sin. Friends betray you. Pregnancies that end in heartbreak, good people get scandalized, children get abused, neglected, marriages fail, governments make bad decisions, families splinter. The longer you live, the more you're around people, I think the more weary of the world you become. But as I was listening to these two friends talk, I could not help but notice not just their weariness with the world, but their love, their love for each other, their love for God's people. Even through all the things that could make us weary, there was a relentless love. In fact, I know a lot of people, some very average people who all feel some of that weariness and yet still seem to have this kind of boundless optimism, a relentless, serious love. When you're weary with the world, there are all kinds of bad directions you can turn. You can turn into Ms. Grumpy or Mrs. Withdrawn or Mr. Pessimist, but love, love is relentlessly optimistic. It's hopeful and confident about people, especially your brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
I'll be honest, I am morbidly pessimistic about the world. But I want to be, and I want you to be, unswervingly optimistic about the people of God. And that really boils down to a choice. I'm going to present to you the choice. We will either obey this verse or we will disobey this verse. And the verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7. Here's what it says. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This verse puts four arrows in the quiver of optimistic love. So we're going to take each arrow out one at a time and that way you can aim them at your brothers and sisters. So arrow number one is this. The first aspect of relentless optimistic love is we choose to brush aside the failings of others. To love means to choose to brush aside the failings of others. Love bears all things. The word bear here means to put up with a hardship. It, it, it comes from a word that means to, to cover. Hence, it's the idea of not dragging into the light what is unseemly in other people. In 1 Peter 4.8, Peter uses a different word, but he says something very similar when he writes there, love covers a multitude of sins. Kids, if you uh, cover something, what happens to that thing? Well, that thing you can't see anymore. It's been covered. And that's what love does. It acts like a thick blanket that removes from sight sins and faults of other people. So it's not so much ignoring those sins or denying that they even ever happened as it is in, cho in choosing to endure them by deciding not to look at them, covering them. Which is really a picture of what God does with our sins, isn't it? He chooses to remove from his sight our sins. All of them have been covered by the blood of Christ. He sees that blood, not your sins. And all of this is because he loves you so dearly. And if you learn to cover the sins of others, you will learn what it means to bear the sins of others. Love bears all things. Now, now it's true that God doesn't overlook all sin. I, meaning, I mean by that, there, there's times where public repentances and even costly restitution needs to be made. Just like in a friendship, some, some sins have to be talked about. They're, they've created a, a wedge in the relationship that needs to be solved. But love, love covers the majority of them. It covers the majority of sins. And in this sense, love protects the other person by what one author wrote, not dragging into the piteous light of public scrutiny the faults of our friends. And oh my, just go to the grocery store and look to your right and left and there is the dragging into public scrutiny, the pitiless light of public scrutiny, the failings of others. A selfish person seeks to feel good about themselves by exulting in the failings of other people. 
but a loving person seeks to endure the failings of other people regardless of how they even hurt them. Love bears all things. That's the first arrow. Here's the second. Love believes all things. What this means is love assumes the best of people. This is not Pollyanna optimism. It doesn't mean we take every word of every person as true. That's being gullible. Love is not gullible. Jesus was not gullible. John 2, 25, he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And yet, Jesus did believe all things because Jesus never failed to love. And the Bible is giving us a definition of love here, and it says love is like this. It believes all things. That means Jesus believed all things. So what does that mean? How can you believe all things while still knowing what's really going on in the hearts of men? Well, this speaks to an attitude, a a posture of the heart uh, that's always ready to believe the best and to give the benefit of the doubt. It takes other people at their word. The opposite of believing all things is to be the kind of person who doubts everyone. Like when your friend tells you they took this certain course of action and, and you're just not satisfied. You say, well, what's the real reason? And they go, that's the real reason. No, no, come on, tell me the real reason. That's called suspicion. <laughs> and to be totally frank, suspicion is the opposite of love. The world is going to burn you. <laughs> Friends will lie to you. People will fail you. Conspiracies will be exposed. The world is going to let you down. People are going to let you down. And yet love takes people at their word. You know, I think this would simplify your life a lot. Pay attention to what people say. Take those words at face value. Believe them. And later on, if they prove that they have lied to you or deceived you, what do you do? Well, that's why you have Matthew 18 and Galatians 6. You go to them and you win them back from their sin. It's really quite simple. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You don't go and tell other people. You tell him. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That's a good thing. Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Love believes all things. And when people lie to us and that is exposed, we go to those people and we say, hey, you lied to us. You shouldn't lie. Lying is a sin. We give them opportunity to repent and it's restored and all's good. Love believes and corrects where necessary. Whatever you do, don't become a cynic. Because a cynic will never learn to love. You're going to be busy doing Satan's work while everybody else is trying to do the Lord's work. As a a young man, I spent a little season of my life trying to be cynical, trying to be the cynic. I was sure that I knew what people were really thinking. I knew what was really going on behind closed doors. I knew what the real agenda was to every decision. Oh, the pompous arrogance of that young man. As if I could know any other person's heart when the Bible tells me I can't even know my own. (laughs) Flee that way of living, friend. It's not love and it will lead to death. Love believes all things. It chooses, right? It chooses to live in a posture of optimism that people are going to try their best and do their best, that what that person is saying to me is true. 
You might say, well, wait a second. What if, what if it's not true? What if they're lying to me? And I never find out. Well, don't worry about it because God's a far better judge than you. Be sure your sins will find you out, says the Bible. God, who actually does see the motive of every heart, God who knows the depths of every heart, God who knows what's really going on, this God takes careful account of all that is done and said, and you can be utterly certain, absolutely 100% certain, that every sin, every lie, every deception will be exposed, will be judged perfectly, if not in this life, then in the great day of judgment when God himself will look every person in the eye and it will all be seen, all of it, and you, as a Christian in that day will think, oh my, if he had not loved me first, if he had not loved me first, if he had not loved me when I was a deceiver, if he had not loved me when I was a backroom dealer, if he had not loved me when I was a manipulator, then surely I would spend my endless eternity in hell. But he did love me. He loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. And because I am his and he is mine, he believes all things about me. He believes the best. He gives me the benefit of the doubt. How could I ever refuse to do the same with my brothers and my sisters? Assuming they really are your brothers and your sisters in the Lord. Maybe the reason you find it almost impossible to love people is that you have not experienced the love of God yourself. It is true, sinners go to hell. But it's equally true that God loves sinners and loves especially and eternally those sinners who repent away from their sins and trust in the one who died for sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you done this? Have you trusted in Christ himself? If you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus, you must do this now. Otherwise, your only taste of God's love will be in this life, and it will be a memory to plague you in eternity forever. For you will know nothing of his love in hell. Third arrow. Look at your brothers and sisters the way they will be. The way they will be. Love hopes all things. This is the part of love that refuses to take a person's failure as the last word on that person. In the Bible, our hope is a steady confidence in a future reality. So when we speak about hope and our hope of heaven, we don't mean like, man, I hope I roll the dice right and I get there. What we're talking about when we use the word hope is a steady confidence of a future reality. Because Jesus has done what he's done and because my faith is in Jesus, I am certain and I am sure I have this steady confidence that my future reality is with him forever in glory. Here Paul says, love hopes hopes all things. When you and I look at our fellow church members, we can evaluate them in a couple of different ways. We can look at them as the limping version or we can look at them as the lasting version. 
And when you look at another brother, another sister with the limp, the limping version, you're seeing who they are right now. Even at their best, they're still fighting sin, fighting the flesh, fighting the devil, sometimes winning, sometimes failing. They're limping all the way to the finish line, the limping version. Or you can choose to see people as the lasting version. Who that person will be when they're resurrected into a sinless eternity. C.S. Lewis once observed this, the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to will one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. You and I can look at each other just for who we are right now, or we can begin to look at each other for what we will be in that day. I must be honest, you're a hot mess. <laughs> I'm a hot mess, we're all a hot mess. We're all messed up, broken by sin. We're distorted at the very core. When we're at our best, we're still a hot mess. We, we are redeemed, yes. We're being sanctified, yes. All those things are true. But we will never be what we were made to be until we stand in glory. Love says, I'm not gonna focus on what you are, but I wanna think about what you will certainly be. I choose to see you as a future saint, sanctified all the way, glorified all the way, beautiful all the way. I choose to believe that in your life, grace is going to win. And that means grace will continue to make a steady progression in your life now. You're going to grow. If you're a Christian, you're gonna grow. You've got God's Holy Spirit. So my love for you is full of hope. Your failure right now, I refuse to believe that defines you. I see you for what you will be in the day of glory. We will serve our church if we learn to love each other this way, to give hope to each other in this way. Think for a moment about a time somebody just filled your sails with hope, poured the, the hope of the gasoline of hope into your engine and you just took off. And just bring back to mind what was that was like. Got it? Now what if you were to make it your mission, day by day, every brother, every sister, every other member of this church, to seek to have a love like this, a love that believes all things, a love that's full of hope, a love that hopes all things. What if you and I were to just sort of commit to being the kind of people who wantonly throw encouragement all over the place so that when we leave a room, we leave a, a trail of hope in our wake. That sounds pretty good to me. You can be that person. So can I. That's arrow three, let's look at arrow four. Last one, refuse to allow the actions of others to determine the consistency of your love. Refuse to allow the actions of other people to determine or influence the consistency of your love. Love endures all things. Now here's a category that's easily misunderstood. 
We use the word endure to speak of, you know, like undergoing something like chemotherapy. I just want to endure it. I'm going to suffer through this thing. I'm going to put up with this thing. But the word that Paul is using here is more aggressive than that. It's less passive. It's perhaps closer to our word resist. And that sounds funny. Love resists all things. But let me explain it. It, The word has military overtones to it. So it's the idea of standing firm by holding your ground. That kind of endurance. The kind of endurance that, that just takes the onslaught of the enemy and won't give ground, won't give quarter to the enemy. So it's to endure in the face of opposition. Love is never passive. Love is always on the offense. And in this sense, when Paul writes that love endures all things, he's telling us that our love for other people is not to be easily defeated. It should not be easily overcome. It doesn't give up when you're trying to love your spouse and the first time they don't love you back, you pout in the corner. That's, no, your love endures that. It doesn't give up when you're trying to love uh, family members of yours that, that, that don't love the gospel and don't love the Lord, and, and you're trying to love them, and they're mocking you and coming at you. Your love endures through that. It doesn't matter what kind of resistance or attack comes against your love. If it's biblical love, if it's Christian love, it, stand, it stands its ground against all things, right? You see that word, all things, four times in that verse, all things, All people, all circumstances, anything that seeks to snuff out our love, our love endures. If you remember Paul's instruction to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6 when he's talking about the spiritual war, remember he describes the armor and and then there's there's a command that's given four times in Ephesians 6, like after you get all your armor on and sharpen your sword and you're ready, what are you supposed to do? You know the word that happens four times there? Stand. 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 I think he, he might have something in mind here similar to that. Love is like that. It stands its ground. It is the same fierce commitment to not give an inch. That's what defines Christian love. Christian love is, is not this flowery thing that's, you know, well, if we're all happy, slappy, whatever, and then I'll love you then, but when things are hard. No, Christian love is most Christian when it is faced with an enemy. Christian love is most Christian when it's faced by people who should be loving us and aren't in return. And when that love endures, that's when it is most Christian. Aren't you glad that this is what defines God's love for you? A love that endures you in all your failings and all your sins? What if Jesus had tolerated the trial before, the unjust trial before his judges? What if he had tolerated the mocking and the spitting and the hitting? What if he had tolerated the nails going into his hands and feet? But then at the very last moment, when he's about to endure hell for us, he said, No more, that's enough, I can't take any more. Help angels, and the angels rush in and rescue him. What if Jesus' love had not endured? I'll tell you what, you and I would go to hell. Praise God, his love endured through it all. He loved you all the way. And he looks at us and says, now you be like that. Love all the way. So not only does love 
cover the failings of others and in that sense endure them when it bears all things. But here, love doesn't back away from the attack of others and in this sense it endures in a different way. It withstands opposition. In the Second World War, underground saboteur forces were known as the resistance. They launched this guerrilla warfare against the Nazis. Brother, sister, join the resistance. Join the love resistance. Be a love saboteur. When you get into any situation, you're just looking for the places where you can love other people, where you can die to self and love others. And when opposition comes, your love endures, endures, endures. You're on the hunt to dispel affectionate benevolence wherever you can. True love endures all things. It is a weary world, my brothers and sisters. There is a lot down here to make you cry out like Solomon, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And that's true. But he didn't write, lost, lost, all is lost. God puts his people into this vain world to be a model and a picture of his love. An authentic love that covers up other people's failings and stands ready to to believe the best about everyone and sees fellow members as saints to cheer for as they make their race to glory and refuses to give up even when the objects of our love seem to do everything they possibly can to give us an excuse to not love them. Love is sacrificing the right to complain and grumble about God's sovereignty. Does that make sense? Choosing to love is sacrificing the right to complain about the sovereignty of God. It is choosing to live your life outwardly for the good of other people, no matter what happens, no matter what they do. Beloved, God expects this out of every single church member. I know that because 1 Corinthians 13 is surrounded by 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. And 12 and 14 are just talking about normal church members. And that means sandwich in the middle is this bit on love, which means that applies to normal church members. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, this is this, this, that kind of love, that's, that's for the super Christians. I'm just a very average Christian. No, you might have been a Christian for all of 10 days and God expects this out of you. Or you might be sitting there and thinking, man, that, that guy up there, he doesn't understand what my world is like. He doesn't understand what I live with. He doesn't understand what my job is like. If he understood my situation, he would never put this expectation on me. I, I've, I've looked all over this thing and I can't find footnotes Like, I can't find codicils, I can't find exception clauses. It's just a straight command. This is what love is. Which means if you've been a Christian for 12 minutes, 12 days, 12 years, 12 decades, it doesn't matter. The expectation on you is the same. Take your name and plug it in to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Does Ricky bear all things? Does Marion believe all things? Does TB hope all things? Will Paul endure all things? 
Nothing less than this will do. Amen.